Hey there, it's Friday, 5.30 here at the NASDAQ, and that can only mean one thing. It is time for Options Action. Here's what's coming up on The Big Show. Break out your flannel and pumpkin spice lattes, because fall is right around the corner. But if you think a September swoon is on the way, Dan has one really cheap way to play it. He'll lay out his trade. Then... Why do Mike and Carter say it's time to check out of this major hotel stock? They'll explain. And later. We're raising the roof on a home improvement trade that's simply nailing it. It's time to risk less and make more. Options Action starts right now. Let's get right to it. With August coming to a close, it'll soon be time to put away your sunblock, break out those sweaters, and turn in weather. Uh, could put a big chill on travel stocks. They've had a pretty hot run so far this year, but the chart master says he's starting to have some reservations. Carter Worth's over at the Plaza to break it all down. Carter, take it away. Well, it's more about the consumer, right? I mean, is the consumer in good shape or isn't it? There's so many ways to uh, make the case either way, but I thought we'd focus on something we haven't done in a while, which is hotels, resorts, and cruises. It's an actually S&P 500 sub-industry group, and these are the five names, and everybody knows those names, right? Big hotels, and then the three uh, cruise liners. Now, let's look at some charts and try to pull together the thesis. What we have over the past decade is a, a pretty nice fit between this sub-industry group, hotels, resorts, cruises, and the entire consumer discretionary sector. And yet what you can see here of late is that the, the boats, the hotels, have stalled. That's the blue line rolled over. Let's zero in on this and take it a little uh, closer. So now, this is the picture that is a bit bothersome. We know that these peaked quite some time ago, and while the market has made these slight new highs, that is not the case for this particular sub-industry group within the S&P. And that rolling over, that deterioration, is an issue. In fact, I would show it to you a couple ways. We know, for instance, we're nowhere near these lows absolute, right? We're nowhere near. And yet, we are right back to relative lows. So uh, basically, a place where money has gone to die and produce negative alpha, if you will. Something is wrong. A couple charts to put in context. Now, Marriott, the big heavy player, biggest of that group. You know, you can draw the line so many ways, but one way, and it's not a judgment or opinion, it's just sort of a structural fact, that's a double top. Now, if I pull it back and try to figure out where on the trend line this could be going, I mean, just were we to check back, check back, check back to trend, yes, that implies quite a bit lower from here. And that's my thinking, that we've put in an important top. Now, look at this long term. I mean, it's one of the biggest winners, and yet what a bad setup. And so then the here and now, Marriott, just the day-to-day chart we know that everything has tried to bounce since the August low and waffled at least, but there's not even any waffling here. This thing has been unable to bounce. What we know, and let's end with this, it's a well-defined trend and it's a break-in trend. This is a problem, and I think one wants to be very cautious on Marriott. All right, so uh, Carter, come back over. Mike, what's the trade here on Marriott? Yeah, so I think the key thing to think about here, number one, you know, we are talking about a discretionary sector. And if you take a look at previous, you know, basically economic downturns, these are stocks that can be highly sensitive to that. This company also is increasingly seeing revenues coming internationally. We are, of course, right now at a relatively strong dollar. That is not going to help them. There are some currency headwinds there. 
as well. And if you take a look at how much the revenues have pulled back in some of these circumstances, you know, we've seen maybe 15, 16 percent pullbacks back in the credit crisis. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. But you couple that with a relatively high valuation. This thing is trading at around 28 times earnings. It's hard for me to figure out how you can balance the risk reward. There's possibly maybe 10 percent upside in the stock potentially, but there's substantially more downside. So I think given the fact that although options prices are elevated a little bit, they really aren't as high as I think they ought to be given the risk factors and given how much equities have been moving around lately. I was looking out to October, the 125, 115 put spread. You could spend $2.65 for that. That's a little more than the quarter we typically like to spend. And oftentimes when we structure these trades, Carter and I try to work together. We're looking at 60 to 90 day timeframes. They don't actually have a November expiration listed right now. That's the reason I'm looking to October. But I, I really do think that we're in a situation where many of these stocks, don't have that much upside, but they do have potential room to the downside for sharp moves, and that's what we should be keeping our eyes on. Dan, what do you think of this trade? No, I like it. I think let's start with the chart. I mean, there, I think there's two charts in this market right now. There's stocks that are above those uh, uptrends that are from the December lows, and they're the ones like you just showed that are below them. Marriott is below them. The whole space is rolling over. So if I'm just thinking about sentiment and I'm thinking about just how these set up, they're broken charts. So I love Carter's setup. The way Mike's doing it is really the only way to do it. You just have to pick a spot, and he's picking 115 to the downside. He said he likes to get basically usually a quarter of the width of a spread of a. Uh, a directional put spread, a vertical like that. So you're not getting it. Vols are kind of high right now. There's a lot of uncertainty, and that's the whole trade. So to me, I like the technical setup. The fundamental thing seems like it's rolling over a little bit, especially with the dollar making new two-year highs today. And then if you look at Mike's um, trade, I like the risk-reward. He's basically risking one to maybe make three. Right, and obviously it's, it's a fairly small sub-industry with five stocks, but there are others, and you can look at them. You can look up Host. You can look up Hyatt. Uh, none acts well. And it is highly discretionary. I mean, it is the most discretionary thing there is. And not to mention this, trip doesn't act well. Bookings doesn't act well. The online sites for travel. So many things, uh, cross-currents. Not a good place to be. Yeah. All right, let's move on to tech. If you caught last night's Fast Money, you'll know Dan brought along what he calls one of the best-looking charts of the market. Take a listen. Microsoft really stands out, not just because of the size of it, but look at that consolidation it's made above 130 since the beginning of June. It's held that uptrend from December, and it really feels like it wants to break out. So clearly Dan likes the chart. What's the trade then? Yeah, so really interesting setup here. I mean, I think that like that was just the technical setup here, and that one does fit on the right side of that uptrend from December. I really like the consolidation um, above 130 where it broke out in early June, but let's think about the fundamentals here. And what's interesting about this company relative to the last time that we might have had a global recession is their, their model. It's just different. The recurring nature of so much of their revenue, new businesses in the cloud, um, that probably insulates them a little bit bit if we do have some sort of enterprise spending recession a little bit. So I think about this company, it's expected to have in this fiscal year 10% earnings growth, 10% sales growth. It's trading about 26 times. That's getting kind of expensive, but really not against some of its other fast-growing tech peers. And I say to myself, if I'm trying to be constructive and I'm trying to look into the fall and pick some stocks that I think could break out, Microsoft has to be at the tops of that list. That chart right there, that's implied volatility, the price of options in Microsoft. They're just relatively low. So if you are thinking like I'm thinking that the whole macro situation is really murky, this thing is held up really well, definitely uh, relative to the broad markets up 36 percent, 2x that of the S&P 500, and much better than Amazon, 
Google, uh, and Apple, which are all about 10% from their highs. This thing's only about 2%. So to me, I say, let's be constructive. Let's try to do a defined risk bullish trade into the fall, because if there's any good news anywhere, this is one of the ones that's going to drag the market up. So today, when the stock was trading at 137, you can look to October expiration. You can very simply just buy the October 140, 150 call spread, paying about $2.65 for that, buying one of the October 140 calls for $3.20, selling one of the October 150 calls at 55 cents. It costs you 265. It breaks even at 142.65. So that's up 4%. You're risking 2% of the stock price to have a pretty near the money bet that this thing that has been consolidating and showing good relative strength, I know Carter has some different views on that, I think that's the way to play it with defined risk if you're looking to be constructive on mega cap tech. So everything Dan said is correct. And as a technique, right, you do want to stay with what's safe. And Microsoft, over the course of time, one or two stocks will take on almost like a cult status. IBM did it. When at the sites. Exxon has been that category. GE, um, Walmart, uh, considered unto itself, has no competition. And Microsoft is the most widely owned thing there is. So while that's good, at some point it is the musical chairs. It is. And what we're seeing under the surface is this stalling and rolling over and things like Zendesk and things like Twillow and things like PayPal and things like uh, Workday and CRM. And so I'm just wondering whether at the end of the day, isn't this the final thing? And so there's that adage, they get the generals last. They shoot the generals. Literally, the generals hang out in the back, so they shoot the people in the front of the line. But in the markets, General Mills, General Electric, General Motors, General Radiator, they go after the big ones last. And this is the ultimate big one. So the question is, can it continue just to be its own thing? Until it can't. So there's a lot, Mike, that I want to get your take on. First of all, whose side are you on in terms of the direction of Microsoft? And how do you think Dan's trade is structured? You know, I, I don't feel like the equities generally are behaving in a very healthy manner here. And I'm, I'm pretty anxious about it, I have to say. Of course, if that's the case and you're inclined to make a bullish bet despite that, this is a good way to do it. And actually, it's setting up in a way that's a little bit unusual. Generally speaking, when you take a look at a very close call spread, like the one that Dan's identified here in Microsoft, it's not uncommon to see these things trading 30, 35, even 40 percent of the distance between the strikes. He's getting it for substantially less than that. Usually when we go to put spreads, we're looking for maybe one-fourth of the distance between the strikes. On call spreads, it's usually pretty hard to get that kind of math, and here he is getting it. So if you're inclined to make a bullish bet, this is absolutely the way to do it. The thing is, I'm not really inclined to make a bullish bet here on Microsoft or anything else. Yeah, no, and I think you guys make a good point. I, I mean, I think regular viewers of this program know that I'm not particularly constructive about the setup in the market, but I feel like if we were to get some good news and the S&P is back above 3,000, then this stock is definitely above 140, probably close to my break-even on this trade. And I think Mike makes a great point. In June, when really the trade worries were at their heightened, you know, heightened period of this whole year, this stock was $120. It's 138 right now, you know. So when you think about it, it's come a long way here, but another Another 10% in six weeks, if we have incrementally better news, macro-wise, mm-hmm. is not going to be that hard, in my opinion, because the same reason why it's so crowded, there's no reason that should not continue. But the, the, the point about a source of funds is a very important one. It's the only market cap with over a trillion dollars in the entire planet right now, publicly traded, and there's a lot of positive sentiment. So if the news were to go south, but that's why you're risking 2% of the stock price to make this bullish price. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, check out our super cool newsletter. What are you waiting for? Here's what's coming up next. 
Investors have been deep diving into junk bonds. But as trade tensions threaten to take down the market, one of our traders is laying out a cheap way to make bank on a breakdown. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. We just closed the door on one roller coaster month for the market, but the wild ride might not be over. September is historically one of the worst months for stocks. So if you're betting on even more pain ahead, Dan Nathan has a way to play it on the cheap. He's over at the plasma with his call to action. Dan. Yeah, so in this time of market volatility, a lot of traders are looking for opportunities to play for volatility. And they're looking for cheap options in which to do that that actually have the potential to pay out a lot if they get some unexpected movement. And, you know, we talk about the S&P 500 all day long. It's only down 3% from its all-time highs. Some might say that acts relatively well. Um, there's some other pockets of opportunity, though, in the options market to make money if things kind of go haywire um, again, and it could be away from equities. And one area that I think could be really interesting is high-yield um, debt. And one of the reasons why we spend a lot of time talking about the yield curve in, uh, inversion, that's treasuries, but like high-yield debt is very levered to um, companies that Basically, you know, I have a harder time borrowing their worst credits. And then if we have some sort of earnings recession, these are companies that might struggle to pay back that debt. And in those scenarios, you're going to see high yield indexes turn lower. And we've seen that time and time again over the last 10, 15 years or so. So let's just talk about the HYG. This is the iShares high yield um, uh, ETF. It tracks a uh, basket of high yield debt here. And one of the reasons why you might want to buy a put spread in the HYG as we look into the fall, if you're expecting some greater market volatility, is that what are the small caps telling us right now? Let's just think about the Russell 2000 in particular. It's about 15% from its highs. It is in an earnings recession. The last two quarters, it's seen year-over-year earnings declines for small cap stocks within the Russell 2000. So I think that's something to keep an eye on because we know a lot of the issuance in the debt market is in um, the high-yield market. The other point is, is that oftentimes, if you look back, when we see the stock market go down precipitously, you see correlations of a lot of risk assets go to one, and there's really no place to hide. Ultimately, even something like the HYG that's held up pretty well may go down fast with uh, equities, too. And the last point about the HYG is that options are really cheap. And I'm just going to show you a few other charts to kind of demonstrate why that's the case here. So let's think about this. This is the one-year chart of the HYG. This looks like a pretty nice consolidation. I think it's important to remember that there was a 10% peak-to-trough decline when the stock market went down 20% in Q4. That's telling you that, obviously, it is, can be very correlated to sharp drops in the equity market. The other point I want to make is this is large cap the S&P 500 versus the Russell 2000. The small caps, you see this. The S&P is down about 3% from its all-time highs late last month. The Russell 2000 has not made a new high since last year. It's down about 15%. I think that is reflective of investors' fear about this earnings recession that's going on with small caps. Okay, now let's move over to that last point I made about option prices being really cheap. This is implied volatility, the price of options in the HYG ETF. It is a 6% vol. That is implying less than a 1% move on a daily basis here. You see, though, what happened to option prices last fall when the stock market started going down. HYG more than doubled. It almost tripled the price of options there. So that's telling you that directional option trades can be very cheap in this name. Here's the other point I want to make. 
when things started to get dicey in the last couple months, this is GLD, the price of options. Look at how they shot up. They were low single digits IV, okay, and they shot up to at least 100% above where they were trading. And that's because traders were reaching for gold as a hedge against the market volatility. The last one, TLT, this is the 20-year Treasury ETF, we know what's been happening there. Yields have been going lower. Bonds have been going higher. Traders have been buying lots of options. The price of options has gone up materially. Again, option prices were really cheap before that spike. So here's the trade in the HYG. I think you want to look out to November expiration. I think option prices are so cheap that if you're looking for risk assets that could go berserk in a market that's gone haywire, this is one of them. So today, when the HYG was trading... Um, what are we doing here? We're buying a put spread. It was at 87 bucks. You look at November expiration, the 86.80 put spread costs 80 cents. That's about 1% of the stock price. It breaks even down at 85.20, about 2% from where the stock uh, ETF was trading today, and can make up to 5.20 between 85.20 and 80 bucks. And why did I choose 80 to the downside? That's not a great put to sell down there, but. That was the low from last December. That, to me, is a level where it may find some um, support. But to me, very simply, risking 80 for about two and a half months to possibly make 520 if the HYG goes back to the lows it was at in December. Carter? I mean, it's a great kind of uh, trade to have on in a market like this where you can have a rapid, quick payout that's handsome. And it's what hedging is all about. I would say this, for those of us who are not believers and who are bearish, it's annoying how well the HYG and JNK have held up. All right. Dan, thanks for that. Come on, uh, come on over. Uh, up next, check out shares of Home Depot hitting a fresh all-time high today. We'll tell you why the Home Builders hot rally is great news for one of our traders. We're live at the NASDAQ market site. Much more options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. A couple weeks ago, Mike said Home Depot could be building up to a breakout. Of course, it's all about alpha. During the sell-off, this 9, 10% sell-off, the stock has been going, of course, straight up relative to the S&P. I think it's a good place to be as a defensive name and to some extent and an offensive name. This is a duopoly, basically, with Lowe's. They are the better of the two companies. I was looking at the September, January 210 call spread. You could spend $5 for that. Depot hit an all-time high today. Uh, Carter, first, how does the chart look right now? Right, so to some extent, uh, the opportunity, while not all gone, has come and gone, right? Playing for an event and playing for a breakout. At this point, I would pull one's horns in. Mike, are your horns being pulled in? (laughs) Well, actually, they sort of are automatically. I mean, this stock actually rallied through the 210 strike, the September options, which were actually short. So... Time is on our side if we just hold on to this position. Once those decay away, so you can look at the 210 puts for that, then you're going to want to roll the 210 seps that were short out to October and keep the long jan 210s on. All right. Well, also earlier this month, Dan laid out a way to play Salesforce into earnings. If you look at the one year, it has tremendous overhead resistance between 160 and 170. Um, and it's really just at really underperforming the NASDAQ, which is up 19% of the year. It's only up 5%. A collar strategy is something where when you own a stock and you're in a potentially, into a potentially volatile event like earnings in a potentially volatile period that we are in right now, it makes sense sometimes to put a collar strategy on where you're protecting your stock. You could buy the October one. 30, 160 collar, paying 70 cents for that. 
Salesforce soaring on the back of its report up nearly 10% since the call. So, Dan, what do you do now? Yeah, so this was basically you're overriding your long stock. The stock was around 145 at the time. It went up as high as 158 after um, the report. Um, and then you were selling a 160 call and you were using the proceeds to buy a 130 put. That was your protection. That's your defined risk to the downside. So here's the situation you have until October expiration. The stock closed at 156 today. You are short that 160 call. If you want this stock to, to remain intact, then you do not want to be short that call if the stock is over 160. So if you want to keep the stock position intact, you'd cover those short 160 call. You'd sell that 130 put because that's lost most of its value right now. That's done what it was supposed to do for that earnings event. And I got to tell you, the guidance that they gave was pretty good. This is another stock that I would expect to make new highs above 160 if the market were to kind of find some footing. Because again, you want to marry good fundamentals with poor sentiment. And it did have poor sentiment heading into the print. So to me, I'd take the collar off. Just for fun, would you rather Microsoft Ooh. or CRM? Oh, a Carter pulling a Woolwich. Uh, I actually think Microsoft because I think it has better valuation support here, and I think that CRM, Salesforce, has been a bit more volatile. It's certainly safer, but CRM has rolled. All right, up next, final call. Final call time, Carter. You know, Marriott. I think one should be concerned if one's long on the seller. Mike. Yeah, you want to use put spreads October one twenty-five, one fifteen in Marriott. Damn. Yeah, HYG uh, puts look really cheap to me, making a bearish bet into the fall. That does it for us. See you back here next Friday at 530. Uh, have a great long Labor Day weekend. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.